Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Craig Butler. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Man, listen, I, I have uh, some news this morning. Pastor Larry and 18 people are in Cuba. He is on tour. Uh, he hit it, he hit it, and uh, he's on tour this morning. So give those guys a big hand. Yes. They're actually building a church in Cuba, but I'm sure Pastor Larry's going to sing somewhere at church this morning. So, uh, man, wasn't that fun. You know, the X factor is that something... That undefinable something that someone has star quality. That's what the X Factor is all about. And I know that even this morning, we have some people here that have that undefinable something that is different about them with star quality, and that is our veterans here this morning. I would like all our veterans to stand right now. You're a veteran? Thank you. Thank you. We want to honor you today for your service to this country. Thank you for being here. The X Factor, wow, isn't that incredible? I had a solo all prepared, but uh, I, I think I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll pass on that this morning. If you were looking to X Factor this morning, you would find a number of different things. I don't know if you've ever watched it. How many ever watched the X Factor? Uh, if you've seen it, it's in 43 different countries now. It is so big. It, uh, um, at one of the tours that they had, there were some people that, um, did you know that like 38 loads of snacks were served on the latest um, X Factor for all the people that were a part of it, the judges and all, all those that were just hanging out. 490 chocolate bars were eaten by those on the tour and judges. There was like 5,000 pins that were used. There was, uh, the judges drank about 10 bottles of water every day with about three limes each. I mean, 896 hours of film footage, 1,500 miles of miles traveled to find that one person that has that undefinable X factor, that something is different, that star quality about them. And, the, and if you've ever watched it, you'll know this, like in 2006, this Leona Lewis has sold over 10 million albums worldwide. She has this number ones in 32 different countries. I mean, this thing just begins to multiply and multiply. Now, here's what I like. I like the excuses for those that get up there and they sing and they really don't do a very good job. They have all these excuses like, I had a sore throat. I just couldn't see. I was like Moses. I couldn't talk. I I didn't know what to do, right? But God used him. It's the person that maybe they just forgot the words to the song. They didn't have time to learn all the words to the song. Um, I like the one, this is what I do, if I, if I, you, you ever notice those people that kind of hold their ear, while and they have that frown on their face, like they can't hear, you ever seen that one? that one, that's the one that cracks me up, they just can't hear right, it's that X factor in what's going on, you know what, I, I believe that there's something definitely in, in life and in the X factor that sets those people apart, but let me tell you this, in life, in God's word, in me living this Christian life, I believe there is something for every believer that's going to set you apart in life. 
It's when God's word gets in you. It's when God's word just envelops your life and you begin to live out life. And you have that undefinable, that indefinable something is different about you. And I believe that can happen even this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 2. And when you turn there, could you stand with me, please? 1 John chapter 2. We've been talking about over the last couple weeks, three weeks, about God's real love. His real victory. And this morning we're going to get to this part where we talk about His real anointing. Listen to what it says. Dear children... This is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour, that they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. God, I pray that we would be open to your word this morning, that you would help us to remain in you. God, I pray that you would help us even this morning understand your word in a way that challenges everyone in this room. I pray that you would call us to a place that maybe we have never been before in following you and in knowing you. I pray even today that you would call people home to you, that maybe they have walked away, but today they're going to come back to you. And we pray that you would anoint this time together in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated today. You know, if we could sum up 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, there's some key words and some key scriptures that we could use. One of those key scriptures that we could use is in 1 John 1.1. And it really talks about, in 1 John, about life. Living life. Listen to this verse. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Listen, when we follow Jesus Christ in this life that he has given us, I believe that you can find the most fulfillment in life when you have the word at life in your life. When you follow it, it makes a difference in what you're doing in life. So when we have life, 1 John's talking about life. If you want to live life to the fullest, have the word of life at the center of your life. Now listen to this, 2 John. 2 John is about learning. Listen to this verse in 2 John 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not, here's the key phrase, continue in the teaching, that's learning, of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You know what? Life is about continuing in the teaching of the word of life. That's learning. Now watch, when you go to 3 John, it talks about leading. 
3 John 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. That's leadership. Because people are always watching you. Imitate what is good, not what is evil. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Clearly defined right there. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now there's this reoccurring theme that you see in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It's, it's what we would call, some scholars would call, the, the book of fatherly love. It talks a lot about obeying. It talks about staying away from the world, defining what the world is, and then defining what it means to obey Christ. It even talks about the Antichrist. But in order to stay on track and live a purposeful life, John gives us these tests. And you can find these tests in 1 John chapter 2. There's about seven different tests. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I think about tests, man, that's a painful thing. How many of you cannot stand tests when you're growing up in school? I still have nightmares about them. I think a test is just about like a shot. I don't know about you, but I am allergic to pain. How many in here is allergic to pain? So if I have a shot or if I have to take a test, man, I'm allergic to it. I don't want to do it. I remember going through school and I remember civics. And I was not into history going through school. I was not into school while I was going through high school. I don't know about you. I was into socializing. How many of you just like, I mean, you just like to talk? Yeah, we know that. We know that. And so I remember sitting in civics class with Mr. Valiance. And Mr. Valiance is one of those guys who's, he said, here's how you're going to get an A in this class. He says, I'm gonna, we're going to come in here and we're going to take notes every day. And the exact same notes that you take will be on your test. In order. And I remember this. I'm like, this is my type of class. I can memorize, I can memorize anything. I don't know if I can remember it, but I can memorize it, right? And um, I remember one of those. What are the three branches of government? I even tested my daughter on this yesterday. I said, hey, sis, what's the three branches of government? She, I mean, she said legislative, judicial, and executive. Like, wow, that's pretty good. I'm glad you remembered that. And I remember him saying this about those tests. He said, now listen, all you have to do is when I give you this test, is go down and fill it all out. He says, here's what's going to happen. Some of you in this class will not pass this class, even though all the instructions are given to you right here. And did you know that people failed that class? I made an A. But people failed that class because they did not do the work. You know what 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is about? I'm going to give you all the tests. I'm going to give you all the answers. And all you have to do is follow it. But guess what? We fail the test. Now watch what happens in 1st John chapter 2. One of the tests is this. Obeying God's commands. God's love is made complete when we obey Him at all times. Test number one. Test number two. Loving one's neighbor. We live in the light. So when we live in the light, guess what? We've got to love our neighbor. Love those people around us. Test number three. You need to remember your spiritual growth. And he even calls them by name in 1 John chapter 2. Children, young men, fathers. This is what I want you to do. Remember your spiritual growth because this is about growth. It's about obeying him. And then he talks about test number four. Not loving the world. I love that. It says this in 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. What do we do? We go and love the world, don't we? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So what I want to do this morning, I want to give you three more tests. 
I'm going to give you three more X factors, something that is undefinable, that has star quality, that you either need, a part, need as a part of your life or you don't need it as a part of your life. There's three more tests that I want to give you. The first X factor that you need to understand that will help you live, that will help you learn, and that will help you lead in life, number one is this. You've got to understand the Antichrist. Now, this is something that you do not need as a part of your life. Let me define that real quick. You do not need the Antichrist as a part of your life. Listen to this. It says, dear children, this is the last hour. Now, notice that in the, uh, in the beginning of this chapter, he talks about dear children, young men, and fathers. And again, he says, dear children. Maybe for those that are young in the faith, those that need to know how do you live, he says, make sure you do this. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know is the last hour, that we, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For they, have, they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now I know this, that when you mention the word antichrist, everybody kind of shakes, shivers, and then sinks into your seat and go, oh no, he's going to talk about that. Who's he going to name today? Well, number one, we do not need to name our mother-in-laws as the antichrist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Okay, so we're not going there this morning. And we do not need to understand this verse when it it does not mean that the last person to leave the church is the Antichrist. Because if they belong to us and they went from us, that does not mean that, okay? But John makes this comment in this particular scripture to his readers because his readers are passing by in the world that they are living in at that time, which there are many adverse influences seeking to to turn them from the simplicity of living for Jesus Christ. That's why he states that. It's a warning against the Antichrist. And not only Antichrist, but you notice he says, Pearl, Antichrist. You see, in that day, there was a belief that came from the Gnostics. It was called Gnosticism. And the definition of Gnosticism was this. It was a second century heresy claiming that salvation could be gained through our secret knowledge. And Gnostics derived this uh, from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And so if you were in the know, you would have salvation. But it goes totally against what God's word teaches. Let me give you an example of what they thought. Remember, John is talking to these people living in this day about people who are living in this Gnosticism. It, is, it, it simply stated stuff like this. That which is physical is evil. Everything that's physical is evil. And that which is spirit is good. They, they thought this, that the Old Testament God had created the evil physical world. Hence, he himself is evil and a deceiver. Well, how many of you know this? God is not a deceiver. He is the truth, and we're going to learn that a little later. The body is evil and to be treated harshly by fasting. That's what they believe. But sexual immorality is fine because it breaks the law of the evil creator. Marriage, however, is forbidden. Again, strike number three and four, not according to God's word. Did you even know this? That the the word antichrist is only used about five times in the Bible. Three of the times, it's used right here in 1 John chapter 2. Another time, it's used in 1 John uh, uh, chapter 4. And another time, it's used in 1 John chapter 2. Did you know this? The word Antichrist, you will not find that word in the book of Revelation. In the NIV translation. But get this. When you begin to look at the Antichrist, Revelation will define it as the beast. Or you'll notice this word, the lawless one. 
Uh, uh, Another one you find in Daniel is the prince who is to come. Let me just say, your kids are not the Antichrist. You may think that, but it's not really true, right? But listen to what happens when we get to the word Antichrist, because you have to understand that we're talking about one person who will come, but First John breaks it down in even, even more a simple form, that it means something even like this. The word Antichrist in Greek means against. Everybody say against. Against, or opposite. As a preposition, it means instead of, or in place of. Literally translated, you could say this, it means against Christ, or in place of Christ. So get this, what are we putting in place of Christ? What in our life is against Christ? Because if it's in place of or against, guess what? It is a spirit of the Antichrist. Now that's a little hard to take because you think, man, that's a little bit more closer to home. I'm thinking of the Antichrist. Well, I know I'm not the Antichrist, right? But listen, he is talking about in the scripture some of those false teachers that will come. So, where do these antichrists come from? What, what does it mean? It's, well, number one is this. They come from within the church. Get this. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. These antichrists, John describes, actually originate within the church. They were active in the church. They gave the appearance of being followers, but then they turned away. They know the Christian terminology. They hang with other Christians. But be careful that you not put everything and anything in your life where Christ should be. In other words, it's false teachers, it's false doctrine that is teached. Those are the, what we would call as the Antichrist, right? And so, it, John even goes to this place. I, and he says this, who is the liar? In verse 22, it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. Now, if you jump over to Matthew chapter 10, it says this, but whoever disowns me before men... Jesus is speaking. I will disown him before my Father in heaven. You see how weighty that scripture is. Whoever is a liar, listen, that is why the God's word teaches truth. Thou shalt not lie. Because he knows how important truth is. He knows how important that must be. You see, where does the Antichrist center its focus? Well, listen to this. Their falsehood centers in the person of Christ. Now, let me explain that. You see, what does that really mean? Well, um, couldn't you say this? You know what? As Christians, don't we disagree on a lot of things? I mean, we can disagree on church government, proper form of baptism. Um, some of you have been sprinkled. Some of you have been immersed. And so sometimes we, 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 dis- we disagree about those things. Um, the way that we take communion, the way that maybe how often we should take communion. People um, get in, I wouldn't say disagreements about that. What about some other things, like the color of carpet in a, in a church? You want to have a fight, let's go pick carpet color. Should we put wallpaper in the women's restroom or just leave it plain? You have a fight on your hands right there. How many, uh, should we burn, how many of you remember this? How about burning potpourri at church? You remember when you had potpourri and you'd set potpourri out at your home? Some of you don't know what that word is, do you? Well, before you were able to plug some smelly good thing in your wall at the house, they had this stuff that was all leafy and stuff like that. And if you were really good, you would get that leafy stuff, put it in a bowl, and put, it, put some heat to it and boil it. That's the way you made your house, house smell good. Everybody, how many ever did that? We just want to know this morning. Okay. 
I'm communicating to some of you this morning. You understand. But the idea is, is that we disagree about things. But you know what? That is kind of intramural debates. True believers have a common thread in life. What are they? They see Christ's clarity as one who was fully God and fully man. Amen? We know that he lived a sinless life and died a sacrificial death so that we could have life this morning. He rose from the dead on the third day. Amen. That's why we have life this morning. He will return again. Someday he's coming back to get his children. Someday we'll be with him forever. Now that spirit of Antichrist, guess what? Attack all these beliefs. They attack the person and nature of Christ. Listen to what they do. Some religions make Jesus to be like every other man. He's not like every other man, I'm sorry. And if a religion or anybody says he's like every other man, run, baby, run. Because it is the spirit of Antichrist. They are against the Son of God. They are in opposition to who Christ really is. Am I communicating with you this morning? That's what we're talking about. Now listen, here's another one. Some see him as a lower in authority than Muhammad. He is not lower in authority. His name is above all names. He is the prince. He is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. No one is under him or over him. He is lord. Some reject Jesus as the Messiah. Some see him as only a good man. Well, I'm going to tell you what. He's better than a good man. He is my all in all. He is life this morning to every one of us. He is the great I am in life. That's who he is this morning. Now watch 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says this. For the time will come when, the men, when men will not put up with a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. God help us. You see, the Antichrist has his forerunners and Jesus Christ had his forerunners. John the Baptist made a way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Avoid the spirit of Antichrist. The second factor that you need to understand that will help you live, learn, and lead is number two, the anointing. And let me tell you something. The anointing is something that you need in your life. It is the X factor for your life. It is that undefinable, indefinable, that something of star quality in your life, that there's something different about you. And you've got to have it in your life. Verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. How can I be uh, protected from that spirit of Antichrist? How can I know? God gives the believer, I'm going to give you a couple things. Number one, God gives the anointing to the believer, that X factor. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, he set his seal of ownership on us, And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What does the anointing mean? If you wanted to simplify the anointing, it means this. It means to rub on, to pour oil on. You see, in the Old Testament, only prophets, only priests and kings were anointed. 
They, they were anointed by pouring oil upon their heads, and that oil symbolized the Spirit of, of God coming upon them for service. But you have to remember, in the Old Testament, such an anointing was always only for a specific people and persons. But here's the good news. Jesus changed all that when he died on a cross. He changed all that when he came because he was anointed at his baptism, not with the symbol of the Spirit, that is the oil, but rather with the Holy Spirit himself. And what John is saying is this, that that same anointing is no longer just the possession of only a chosen few, it is the possession of every believer in this room. The Holy Spirit is the believer's protective force against the false teaching and the seducing spirits and against Antichrist. Now let me give you an Old Testament example of the anointing that we will probably recognize. How many of you remember Samuel when he anointed uh, King Saul? Verse, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. He anointed Saul and then he anointed David. Now, I've always been kind of inquisitive of, man, when they did that, when it says they used a horn of oil, what was the horn of oil? How much oil is that? I mean, was it a gallon? Was it a cup? Was it a few ounces? I mean, if it'll change my child's life, give me a bunch of it. It'll, if it'll help my kid go through high school or whatever it may be in life, listen, if it'll help them live, learn, and lead, give me a lot of it. And so I can only imagine when Samuel took that flask or he took that anointed oil, he just poured it all over him. Just poured on me. Poured all over me. I don't care. Whatever it takes. Now, I wanna, I'm going to give you a, a difference here because Samuel put Saul's anointing oil in a flask, which comes from the Hebrew word pak, P-A-Q, P-A-K. Now, you need to remember this. This flask was man-made. It was created from a fine mineral called alabaster. And Samuel prepared to anoint the, the Saul as king, and he told him beforehand, this is what I want you to do. And not only did he have a flask of oil to anoint Saul, he had a dinner party of 30 prestigious guests. He had a seat of honor prepared. He had the choicest of fine meats from a Logan Steakhouse ready. And what else did he have? He had just Saul ready to be anointed, and it was going to be a grand showing of, of Saul being anointed. Now there's a difference. When Saul was anointed and David was anointed. When, he, when, Samuel, when God told Samuel to anoint uh, David, he said, now listen, I don't want you to get a flask. I want you to get a horn of oil. And that horn of oil was taken, and let me tell you this, it was not man-made. It came from a ram's horn. And a ram's horn, and this is what he told Samuel to do. He said, I want you to anoint David as king. And did you know that Samuel anointed him king 20-something years before he actually became king? And he did it in private where Saul would not see because Samuel was scared that Saul would probably kill him for doing it. And so when he anointed him, God chose the horn of oil for two reasons. Number one, first the horn would hide Samuel's intention of anointing David. And second, 
The horn is not man-made. It comes from a ram's horn. And don't you know this, that when a ram's horn is developed, it's developed over time. Have you ever seen rams kind of butt horns? Man, they are tough. And so a horn of oil was taken, that ram's horn, poured in to that oil. That oil was just poured into that ram's horn. And isn't it awesome to know that that's why David was anointed king? Because it represented power and strength. Now watch it. It goes even, even further. In Hebrew, the word horn means that which protrudes out. No wonder God says of David, I will exalt the horn of my anointed and he shall not fail. Because he was saying that David is just a shoot out of me. He's just a personification of what I am. Who do you think you are today? Listen, I don't know about you, but listen, if I'm going to give in a choice between a flask and a horn, give me the horn. I want to be the personification of who Jesus Christ is in this world that I live, in this world that I learn, in this world that I lead. I'm just a shoot out of who Christ is. That's what God was saying to David. You're just going to be a shoot out of me. In Isaiah chapter 5 where it says, I will sing a song. Here's the X factor. This is the great song. I don't know if it was in bluegrass. I don't know if this was a love ballad. I don't know if they wrapped this thing. I just don't know. But what I do know is it says this. He's saying, my greatly beloved had a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. You're saying, what in the world does that mean? You know what fruitful hill means? It means in literal Hebrew, in the horn of the sun of oil. God has placed every one of us in this place, in this time, in this season, in this particular time in life, because I am planted here to make a difference in the world that God has given me. I am to protrude out wherever I go. I'm the horn of oil, I guess you could say, just like David. How am I protected from the Antichrist? Well, God gives the truth to every believer. God is truth. God gives us truth in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the picture of truth. You know what Jesus says in in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10 says this. I and the Father are one. If God gives the anointing and Jesus walks in that anointing, and if I am instructed to do what the Father God is doing, guess what? That anointing produces transformation in life. Now it's interesting to study because when Jesus was anointed, something happened in his life. Acts 10, 37 and 38, this is what we learn. It says, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea? Beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That is the anointing in action right there. Jesus is the example. And listen to what Jesus says about his anointing. This is after his baptism and being filled with the Spirit. It's the beginning of his ministry in Galilee. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, this is how he enters Galilee. You have to understand that Galilee is a region that he kind of lived in. It was a place that he ministered in. But it says something that you forget and we miss all the time in Luke chapter 4, 14. It says this, Jesus returned to Galilee. No big deal, right? But listen to how he returned. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. 
And when he returned in the power of the Spirit, let me just pause and say this. When the Spirit, 1 Corinthians talks about that Spirit, when we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? It is a deposit. It is guaranteeing us. But let me tell you this. There is a second work of the Holy Spirit in your life that can be had. As Pentecostals, that's a great place to say amen. What is that circuit work? It is the power of the Holy Spirit that fills our life. The power to witness. And don't you know that Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? We too should be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he is walking through Galilee, he does what he normally does. He walks into the synagogue. And he walks into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And he sits down and he is handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And you know what he says? Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Not only that, but listen to what he says. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Listen, that is why I live. That's the reason that you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. To proclaim all those saying, good news to the poor. Set the blind free. The oppressed free. That is the anointing in action. That's what I love about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the last X factor that will help you live, that will help you learn and help you lead, is number three, is that you need to remain real with God. Let me, let me read this verse again, and this is what it says. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised to us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Four times it says remain. If our musicians can come, four times it says remain. And when you begin to study remain, you know what it just simply says? It, it comes from this word called minto, means to abide, to dwell, and to remain in him. It means not to be carried away by false teaching or worldly pleasures and possessions. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, when I walk in him, there is a promise for me at the very end of my life. And you know what? It is one of the greatest promises that has ever been given to mankind. God has made many promises, but this is the one promise that supersedes all the others. It is eternal life is that the supreme promise of God our Father. But guess what? That gospel must remain in us for me to receive that what? Eternal life. Real life. It is that very life of God. And I'm going to tell you something. There's something that is an X factor in our lives. When we remain real to Him. When we remain in what He wants us to be. What He wants us to accomplish. And I believe that even this morning, that anointing is here to help you through life. As you live, as you learn, as you lead. 
and all that God wants you to do. Amen. I want you to bow your heads all across this room this morning. And I've been anticipating the end of this service because I believe that today. That He is already here. To help us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct our lives. And there may be some here that you have not remained. And throughout this service today, you have realized that you have not remained with Him. That you have walked away. And maybe you are not living for the Lord. You have walked away. He has a promise for you today. And that's eternal life. And if you are within the sound of my voice and you would say, you know what? Today I know that God is calling me home. He's calling me back to what He wants in my life. You say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be so new, so real in my life. If that is you today, you say, I need Jesus. I need to walk back to Him. I need to proclaim Him. I want you to raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me today. I need to walk back. I want you to be brave. I want you to have courage. I see that hand way in the back. Anyone else? I need to come home to Him today. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.